Welcome. Good afternoon. My name is Heath Phillips. I'm a United States Navy veteran. I joined the Navy um, exactly on my 17th birthday in 1988. Um, I am a military sexual trauma survivor. From my time that I served in the Navy, I spent um, 10 months on board a ship being um, brutally raped, beaten, and disbelieved by everybody. Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast with your host, Tiffany Martz-Ching. In this series entitled, Take a Knee with Tiffany, we hear from military service members and veterans who share their personal stories about some topics that are quite taboo. These topics span from mental health to addictions, domestic violence, sexual assault, physical assault, and suicide. After these 15 stories are shared, we will hear from a panel of mental health professionals talk about trauma and if untreated, can lead to addictions or suicidal ideations for attempting suicide. They also explain the different types of care available by a mental health professional. Let's join Tiffany now with this week's guest on the Medal of Honor. Did it happen one time, multiple times? So, um, my first it started and it lasted for 10 months. Um, after 49 days straight of being assaulted, my family had me go AWOL. We filed a congressional investigation, which founded that it was really happening. But um, how my command got away with things and worded things, they, they insisted that the perpetrators were um, prosecuted, which in fact, only two of my six rapists were. And they got bad conduct discharges and sentenced to 60 days in the brig. But they weren't there because of me. They were there because they were caught and had 17 other cases of uh, sexual assault and harassment on board my ship. Um, one of my assaulters had a prior history, but... Per my command, they stated that due to my age, I was confused by what was going on. And they transferred him to Pensacola, Florida. Three guys left on board my ship to uh, continually beat and harass and haze me for start to finish 10 months. On the ship for 10 months, and this keeps on happening, is it when the, when the ship docked that you ended up going AWOL just straight from the ship? Yes, I... Uh, I, I just, I couldn't handle it. My, my mental state was really, um, I was a mess. I had yeah. started drinking. I was 17 years old and drinking like it was water. I just, I was a mental wreck and it was very hard to um, function being on board a ship, being constantly scared. Yeah. So even even after going AWOL, how did you how did you was just drinking was the only solution that you had when you were AWOL? Um, when I first happened, yes, um, and then um, I did experiment a couple times with cocaine because you know it gets in and out of your system really fast. 
what they used to say. I don't know if it was true or not. Didn't care. I just wanted to be medicated. I didn't want to deal with life. Um, over the years, though, it, um, I, I went from medicating with just alcohol to medicating with alcohol and pain pills to experimenting with other drugs, anything I could to uh, not have to, to face reality, I, I guess. Um, I did not realize that I had a mental illness. You know, I didn't know that I had post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't know these things. I just, in my mind was, I don't want to deal with what happened to me. I'm tired of nightmares. I'm tired of flashbacks. I'm tired of anxiety. So my way of coping was to always try to, in some fashion, be, have some type of intoxication. Was there, um, or not was there, but when was there a turning point to where you realized that the alcohol and drugs were not, you know, getting you anywhere or you had to have more and more as time went by? Believe it or not, um, it was almost 20 years later. Um, I was completely rock bottom. I, I, uh, I was drunk driving home, was contemplating driving my truck straight into a tree and killing myself. I was laughing. I was giggling. I just thought it was the greatest thing in my life that, um, ha, 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 I'm going to kill myself. And I didn't know how sick I was. And the next day when I came to, that was really my aha moment. That was, uh, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And... I, uh, I actually started crying. It was the first time I had cried in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment that I realized, oh, my God, my life is just wow. And that's when I actually quit cold turkey. I haven't, you know, started using it. I was like, ooh, I'm done. And quit smoking cigarettes, quit doing drugs, quit drinking. And that was actually when I decided I actually needed some type of mental health help, that something was wrong. Now, I think, if I remember correctly, your character of discharge was not an honorable one. So were you able to go to the VA and get any help, or did you go somewhere else? So at first I was. Um, I had a loophole, and um, my knee was injured while I was in the Navy. Somebody had thrown me downstairs, so they had it in my discharge medical part that I could seek help at the VA. So I utilized that to start getting help. And then I started doing legislation work and they had the Hagel memo in 2010 that stated that uh, MST survivors can get free mental health access. So I started to use that and then suddenly the VA said, oh, no, you're not allowed to and they pulled my rights away. It took me almost three years to get access back into the VA. And instead of going back to drinking, I did the total opposite. I started fighting them and I fought for my rights and I won. I actually, with an other than honorable discharge, became service-connected for post-traumatic stress disorder, which 
opened up the door for the access of mental health treatment. Wow. So when you when you were confronted with that choice or that option that either I can just go back to what I was doing and drinking and drugs or I can fight for this, was that a tough call for you or was um, it just easy? Believe it or not, it was easy because I had been sober for a while, over a year already. So the, the, they made me mad. And, you know, it, I think that was the downfall that they did is by making me mad. And, and I laugh at the VA. I was like, well, you guys created this monster. Mm-hmm. If you would have just left me alone and let me keep, have my mental health treatment, I would have just been quiet. <laughs> yeah. But they made me mad. And... I thank them because I've worked on a lot of legislation over the years on mental health issues, on sexual assault issues, women rights, um, reproductive rights, all sorts of different things that the VA itself does not provide correctly. Um, my biggest struggles is getting um, adequate health care for male rape survivors in the VA. We, we still don't have the resources that we should. But, so what, know, what? Go ahead. I was, I was gonna ask, um, do you know what those statistics look like uh, um, about with male victims of uh, sexual assault? Um, it depends on the statistics. Um, they make it look less than what it is. So they say one in four women, one in 10 men, or one in six men, or one, it, the statistics always bounce all over because they do percentages. But what they're not telling you is the actual raw human count numbers, there's more men in the military that have been raped than there are women. Wow. But they use the percentages because it makes it look not as bad, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. So they're saying one in 10 men. Well, how, how many men versus women are there in the military? There, right. There's three times as many men or more than there are women. But the thing that I always tell everybody, this is, should not be looked at as a gender issue. Rape is rape. It, right. It just should not ever have been a gender issue topic. And unfortunately, it continues to be a gender issue topic. And 90% of the time, you only hear about the women's side of sexual assault in the military. And that's harmful for the men. Yeah. And I would imagine, too, now, you know, because I survived a sexual assault while I was in, uh, I find myself interacting with people who experienced it as well and I've, I've run into a lot of women who did not report it um, because just the fear of what, what they're going to have to deal with uh, whether it be reprisal or anything else right. um, and so and I look at it if, if there are women who don't report it I would imagine there's even more men that don't report it um, because, and this is just my perspective and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong with this. Perspective. Oh, you're not wrong. They actually had a hearing two years ago and Dr. Nathaniel Galbraith from uh, SAPRO office 
brought this up in the hearing. He's like, well, what about the men? And he brought this up in the hearing that the studies show that less men come forward than women on this issue. Do you think that that's because of a a feeling um, of emasculation or or we, what? We we have I, I men are just men. I don't understand myself half the time. It, it, it's a lot of how society has placed a man. We're supposed to be tough, strong, blah blah. You know, um, when I do. Thank you, and have a nice day. <laughs>